You know, one of the things I love about Unity is when you come up at the time for the service and sit down in the front row, by the time you stand up to speak, there's a lot more people. (laughs) Once we told everybody there wasn't a hell we could condemn them to, they'd just show up whenever they want. (laughs) Good morning. I know that might have been a little familiar, but... I've been here for two and a half hours. I feel like I'm family. How many of you have not heard me speak before? Raise your hand. How many of you have heard me speak? Well, have fun. I'm delighted. I'm honored to be with you. I speak at Unity and Science of Mind centers all over the country. I've been doing it for about almost 40 years. And there are times when I'm schlepping my bags through the airport and trying to catch, you know, the, the other flight or have a long layover that I wonder, why am I doing this? And then I come in and have a sister come and say, you know, when you were here seven years ago, you made a huge difference in my son's life, and he's never been the same. That's why I do this. This morning I'm going to talk about discovering your own power and authority. And you know, that can be challenging sometimes, especially, I mean, you take a look at the, 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 the things that you have up on the wall here. You know, faith, you know, wisdom, strength. There's a lot of the Eastern philosophical uh, symbols, if you will. And I'm going to stand up here today and talk about your power and authority. And I may have a little more testosterone than you're used to. (laughs) Can you imagine what it would be like to wake up in the morning, and before you're fully awake, while you're still laying in bed, to wake up in the morning and feel this incredible joy that just starts to bubble within you, that sort of is manifested like, oh, goody, another day. You imagine what that would be like? You imagine what it would be like to, you know, sort of get out of the bed in the morning and walk into the bathroom and turn the light on and look in the mirror, and your first thought would be, that's a face of God looking back at me. Or, these are God's love handles right here. <laughs> you imagine what it would be like to move into your day without a specific health challenge? Can you imagine moving into your life thinking, I have dominion and authority over all things? That's what unity is about for me. Certainly it's about compassion. Certainly it's about love. Certainly it's about, you know, understanding our own wisdom and strength. But where I come from is what this philosophy gave me was my power and authority. And, and I could say that gentler What this philosophy gave me was my power and authority. But that's not how it resonates with me. Since there's this many people who haven't heard me, 
When I was 23, I had a spinal fusion. Hurt my back a year later after being in pain for 12 months. I had a spinal fusion. During surgery, the spine got infected with E. coli. E. coli is a bad bug. And this was 50 years ago. And it's the worst bug back then. No antibiotics or very few. So my orthopedic surgeon said, the only way to get this out is to cut it out, Terry. So over the next year, he did four surgeries to cut out the infection, cutting it out of my spine and my tissue. Finally, after the last surgery, he said, look, this is way out of my league. You need more than one. So he transferred me to the University of Washington Medical Center. That's where I lived in Seattle. Went in there, and within a couple of days, I became this real celebrity. I had the worst case of osteomyelitis of the spine they'd ever seen. So my doctor became this visiting professor from England. <laughs> kind of a standoffish guy. I thought he was kind of arrogant. <clears throat> and again, he said, the only way to get this out of your body is to cut it out. And he said, I don't want to be blindsided when I go in, so I want to do tests. So I said, okay. So they did tests for two weeks. I'm not 24 hours a day, but all day, every day, they did tests for two weeks. They poked me in places I didn't even know I had places. <laughs> Finally came in one after, uh, that afternoon with his resident and a couple interns, and when he came in that afternoon, he was different. He wasn't as standoffish. or And I wasn't into feelings then. I was a construction worker, but something was different. And he said, we got good x-rays. And it's a lot more extensive than I ever imagined. So I'm going to have a meeting with tomorrow some other specialists. And then after that meeting, we'll come in and tell you what we're going to do in this big cutting out surgery, this big debridement. That afternoon when my wife came, the first thing she said was, what's going on? And I said, what do you mean? She said, when I came down the hall, the nurses wouldn't look at me. They all turned around and walked away. What's happening? And I said, I don't know. Next day, she came for the meeting with our two-year-old daughter, Chris. Meeting started at 4 o'clock. 5 o'clock came and went. Nobody showed up. 6 o'clock came and went. Nobody shows up. About 7, I said, where are they? They're still in the meeting. Quarter after 8, door to my private room opened up, and then walked six surgeons. Six. And if it's good news, there's usually one person to tell you. And if it's bad news, they tell you by committee. Guy in lead was this orthopedic surgeon from England. Guy behind him was head of the Department of General Surgery. Guy behind him was head of the Department of Infectious Disease. Behind them, the three top residents. And this is what they said. This infection has spread. It's no longer just in those two vertebrae where you had the fusion. It's up and down your spine. It's followed both your sciatic nerves into your thighs. It's throughout your pelvic area. It's throughout your abdomen. And we're pretty sure the E. coli is eating holes in your colon. So the germs are communicating back and forth. And this infection has now become life-threatening. I don't know what that meant, but to me, it just scared the whole bejesus out of me. <laughs> And he said, so tomorrow we're going to do the most extensive debridement we've ever attempted. We're going to take you down the operating theater, and the general surgeons are going to start from the front. They're going to start as low as they can go down here in your pelvic area. We're going to come, open all that up, come up around your belly button, and go almost up your sternum. 
We're going to cut all that open and cut out the infected tissue, and then we'll separate your organs out of the way. When we get down the spine, the orthopedic surgeons will chisel and scrape the infection out of your spine. When we're done with that, we're going to roll you over, and the orthopedic surgeons are going to start. They're going to start as low as they can go down to here between your buttocks. We're going to go up mid-back, open all that up, cut out all the infected tissue, chisel and scrape the infection out of your spine. He went into a lot more detail than I'm giving you. When we're done with that, two teams of surgeons are going to start at your belt line, open up both your buttocks and follow your sciatic nerves into your thighs. And when we're done with that, we're going to tip you up on the end and come in from the bottom. That one got my attention. When he got done with that, he sat down in the chair, pulled it up next to bed, and reached out and took my hand. And that's when I knew I was in trouble, because this guy was not a touchy-feely doctor. And he said, son, I know how radical this must seem, but we have to stop this now. When we're done with the surgery and the drains and the antibiotics that we do have, we're pretty sure we can stop it from spreading anymore. The bad news is that we can guarantee you, you are going to lose the use of your left leg through nerve damage. And then he just looked at me. And I just looked at him. And he just looked at me, and I just looked at him. And finally, I figured it must be my turn to say something. (laughs) And I heard come out of my own mouth, that's okay. That's okay. If we've got to do this, let's just get it over with. But even as I heard those words come out of my mouth, I thought, what has happened to me? What has happened that in just one year I would so willingly give up the use of my left leg? But I no sooner said that than he reached up with his other hand, clamped mine between his, and he said, son, we have to do this. The bad news is, is if it's as extensive as we think it is, there's a good chance you're going to lose some of the mobility of your right leg. You're probably going to lose the control of your bowels and your bladder, and there's a very good chance you're going to end up sexually impotent. That was just before my 24th birthday. When all those guys left, that resident who'd been with me for the two weeks at tests, We'd become friends, and he sat on my bed and held me. He didn't say anything. He just held me. My wife was on one side, and he was on the other. And when I finally calmed down, he said, Terry, we don't know what's going to happen. We've never seen anything like this. That's why we're in a meeting for over four hours. But what we do know is you cannot expect to come out of this one whole. The name of my book is The Hell I Can't. I invite you this morning, get underneath the words I use. If I say something that's different than you're used to, forgive me that. Because my sole intention this morning is to remind you of your power and authority to create your life the way you want. When they went in the next morning and opened up my pelvic area, they found the lower end of my colon was just perforated. They said there weren't any holes in it. It was like a sieve because E. coli just eats things. They pulled my bowels out and clipped them, sewed them to my abdomen. It's called the colostomy.
They said, you're going to go to the bathroom in a plastic bag the rest of your life. A month later, they did that big one. I was on the table for 13 and a half hours, took 27 units of blood. And they stopped because they were losing me. When I went in a week later, when I came out of the coma, that one didn't work. Six weeks later, they did another one. That didn't work. A month later, they did another one. That didn't work. A month after that, they started up here about an inch and a half wide and took all the tissue out of my back and buttock so they could see my spine. They took all the tissue out and threw it away and put me in a body cast for six months and laid me on my back. And that didn't work. I was sick for 11 years. I had 27 major surgical procedures on my spine and abdomen. I got letters from the finest doctors in the world saying what Terry McBride has is not curable. I turned 70 in November. I don't have a bad back. I'm not recovering from a bad back. I haven't learned to live within my human limitations. And I took the prayer they gave me that said I needed to accept the things that I could not change, and I threw it away. And I put up a new one that said, with God, all things are possible. Of course, if you do that, people will go, who do you think you are? (laughs) I invite you this morning to get underneath the words. Because when I talk to you about your power and authority on this physical plane to create reality, it's not smoke and mirrors with me. I got to prove it. That's what I'm getting at. Can you imagine what it would be like to wake up in the morning with a sense of joy about your life? Can you imagine what it would be like to move into your life with no physical health challenges? Can you imagine what it would be like to walk into the bathroom in the morning and flip the the light on and, and spontaneously say, that's the face of God looking back at me. That's what this center offers you. That's what unity is about. Unity is not about, you know, letting go of your priorities. Unity is about stepping up to the power and authority that Jesus brought to the human race. And it can be challenging. Sometimes we're so busy letting go, going with the flow, giving up our attachment to the outcome, don't be too specific for God, you know, and all that stuff. We forget that what Jesus brought to the party was it's done as you believe You do not have to change for the infinite power of God to back up your belief system. It already does. Except you and I are convinced. We read these books and say, well, you've got to forgive enough before you're holy. You've got to let go enough before you're holy. You've got to do this before you're holy. That's not what unity teaches. Unity comes from your holy now. You're magnificent now. You're powerful now. It's already done as you believe. All unity tells you is, if you don't like what's going on, change your belief. Of course, if you and I walk out there and own this kind of authority, people look at you and go, who do you think you are? And even though Charles Fillmore, the co-founder of Unity, says the place to start is the place where Jesus started. He acknowledged himself to be the Son of God. That's on page 71 of the Unity treasure chest. It's a little challenging to accept, but he says it this way. 
He's, he's, Phil Moore's talking about, how, so where do we begin? How do we begin to make our lives the lives we've always dreamed about? The way to do this is the way Jesus did it. He acknowledged himself to be the Son of God. The attainment of Christ's consciousness calls for nothing less on our part than a definite recognition of ourselves as the sons and daughters of God. Right here, right now, regardless of appearances to the contrary. We know we're already the sons and daughters of God, so why don't we acknowledge it and proceed to take possession of our God-given right? That's the founder of unity, saying where you start is acknowledging yourself to be holy. Where are you going to do that? When I was in the hospital for the 17th, 14th surgery on my spine, they sent me to see a psychiatrist. He read my letters from the doctors of the insurance company saying, you're going to spend your life in a wheelchair. You're going to have a colostomy forever. You're never going to be sick. This is chronic. It's not healable. It's not curable. And when I said, I don't want to believe like you, he said, who do you think you are? There I was in my hospital pajamas and my hospital robe with my hospital slippers on in the psychiatric ward. They assured me that I had just come down there to visit, not to live, and the psychiatrist said, who do you think you are? I decided not to tell him I thought I was the living Christ. We laugh, but where else in the world can you come together with sisters and brothers and explore this idea that you might be holy now, that you might be magnificent now, that you might be powerful now? Where else are you going to go? I know I get a little loud. You know, <laughs> This is real for me. I envy you. When I started in my 20s, in the beginning, everybody said, you can do it. You don't have to be unity to, to know that all things are possible if you believe they are, that one person with God's majority. It's in all the traditions. Most people don't believe it. But it's in all the traditions. And in the beginning, everybody said, don't fall into this category. You know, stay focused. Be positive. But after 10, 12, 14, 16, 18 surgeries, they all changed their mind. Oh, perhaps there's a lesson in here you're supposed to learn. Maybe God has a bigger plan for you than you just getting well. It was all right to be well in the beginning, but when you try and fail and try and fail and try and fail and try and fail and try and fail, when the failures add up to some magical number, I guarantee you somebody in this room will encourage you to give up your dream. Don't you believe it. Stay focused. Of course, if you do that, especially after you fail enough times, People will probably tell you, like the psychiatrist told me, it's, your, it's an ego need you have to be well. Don't you believe it? This center offers the opportunity for you and I to come together as sisters and brothers and explore together in the safety of this sacred building what does it mean to be the living Christ. What does it mean to begin to step up and own these principles that we talk about? 
Because not only does Charles say on page 71 that you, you, you and I have the right to start from that idea that we're the Christ. Uh, quite honestly, I, I didn't know what that meant when I was in my 20s. I at least knew I'm not my stuff. I'm not my history. I'm not my past. But, but it was a stretch for me even to begin to think I might be holy. Now at 70, of course, I can admit that I'm the Christ. I don't do it on the cornerstone in downside Den- downtown Denver. They tend to, if you do that, they give you a coat that ties in the back. <laughs> but, or, but Charles Fillmore doesn't just start with the idea that you're holy. You're a spiritual being having a human experience. That's what he means by you're the Christ, the anointed one. He goes on on page 98 and he says this. Jesus did not claim to have exclusive use of the supernatural power he used. And that's just how he languaged it. Get get underneath. Jesus did not claim to have exclusive use of this infinite power that he used. He knew that others could do what he did if they would only try. And he encouraged his followers to use the power of faith, to use the power of thought. For it was our brother who said, The works that I do shall ye do also, and even greater works than these shall ye do. That is what unity offers you. No matter what's going on in your now, unity offers you the possibility that you can be free. The possibility that you can be powerful beyond measure. But just study and, and thinking about it isn't enough. You must apply these principles. That's what I love about Charles. He gets a little wordy sometimes. And when he try and com, you know, compares what, what, what he knew then to quantum physics, which is back in the 1900s, it gets a little, uh, you know, not quite as clean as some of the other stuff. But some of the stuff he says is just as true today as it was back then. On page 93, he says this. Study and research are well in their own time and place. But no amount of study and no amount of research will get you out of a concrete difficulty. Nothing but practical work in your own consciousness will do that. What this center offers you is a place where you can study different disciplines and learn how does it work for you. How does affirmative prayer work for you? How would you language it? How would affirmative prayer work for you? How would you language it? Because this study is an inside-out experience. And it can be challenging because you and I are taught to look outside of ourselves. The latest book. Oh, here we found the secret. Oh, we found an ancient truth. Oh, we found this. Oh, here's the answer. The, the seven this, the eight this, the four this, the 16 this. And pretty quick, we got our palms up. We got our feet flat on the floor. The energy comes flowing up through our, we're breathing in through our nose, out through our mouth. We're raising our kundalini energy. We're, and we're so busy doing all that stuff, you forget that you're the one that with the power. You're the one with authority. It's already done as you believe. And what unity offers you is to begin to take these principles and to begin to go inside and listen to the wisdom that you have within, like that marvelous song, to listen to the voice that can only be heard with the heart. What this center offers you 
is your opportunity to discover your relationship with God and your relationship with self. And the way you do that, according to Charles and Myrtle Fillmore, is you make your dreams come true. This is not about giving up your attachments to the outcome. This is about making your attachments come true. This is not about going with the flow, unless the flow is going where you want it to go. This is about changing the course of the river. This is about standing boldly in the face of insurmountable obstacles and claiming your divine authority and your divine right. You are holy now. And any idea other than that is a lie claiming to be the truth. What you have created here, what your ministers and staff have created here, is an opportunity where finally the human race can explore its power, its authority, and its dominion. My bet is there are people in here who don't even know what they want anymore. They're so busy giving up their attachment and not, don't be too specific, God may have a bigger plan for you, all that stuff. What I encourage you to do, get involved here. You want to learn how to pray? Become a chaplain. Every chaplain I have ever talked to said that they had doubts when they moved into it but when they got in the classes and started working with their peer group they began to understand not just how to pray for others how to pray for themselves you want to feel part of this community i don't know about you but when i first started showing up at my metaphysical church you know 40 years ago i sat in the back as soon as it was over i was out of here And then I decided I wanted to be part of this community. So what I decided to do was volunteer to be a greeter just for a few weeks. And what I found was when people came in, they already thought I was part of the family. You like cooking? Get involved in the hospitality program. You should have seen the love and the fellowship that was going along as those women and men put that that food together for us. Get involved in the beautification program. There's so much here for you to start right where you are and then increase your involvement with the sole purpose of you understanding your power and authority. It's an honor for me to stand in your presence. I thank you for reminding me of the difference I make in a young man's life who might have been a a little lost. I encourage you to get involved because this church is about you making your dreams come true. And when you make your dreams come true, what you get is an experience of self. It's even bigger than your dreams. That's the promise of this center. Get involved. Get involved. God bless.